Well, I never thought it would be my kid's favorite Bible story, but somehow, whenever I ask for a request at bedtime for a Bible story, they always want to read, bizarrely enough, the story of the Tower of Babel. <laughs> it is the 10th cha- or 11th chapter of Genesis, right after God saved Noah and his family, uh, and yet it's clear that there's a problem in the world that still hasn't been dealt with. And let me just read it to you. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's our favorite a book to read with our kids. It does a great job of pointing everything towards Jesus. And here's how it tells the story. Now, back then, everyone spoke the same language, so you didn't need to learn Swahili or Japanese or anything because you could say hello to anyone and they knew exactly what you meant. One day, everyone was talking and they came up with an idea let's build ourselves a beautiful city to live in. It can be our home and we'll be safe forever and ever. Then they had another idea, and let's build a really tall tower to reach up to heaven. Yes, they said, we'll say, look up here, and everyone will look up at us, and we'll look down on them, and then they'll know we're something. We'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe and happy, and everything will be all right. So they got to work, brick by brick. The tower grew higher and higher until it soared above the city, touching the sky. They built stairs in the tower to climb to the top. It was like a giant staircase to heaven, or as I prefer to read it, a giant stairway to heaven. Look, they cheered, we're the ones. See what we can do with our very own hands. They were quite pleased with themselves, but God wasn't pleased with them. God could see what they were doing. They were trying to live without him, but God knew that wouldn't make them happy or safe or anything. If they only kept on like this, they would only destroy themselves. And God loved them too much to let that happen. So he stopped their plans. I feel like I should stop and show you the picture in a minute. Listen to what happens. One morning they went to work as usual, but everything was different. Their words were all new and funny. You see, God had given each person a completely different language. Suddenly no one understood what the other one else was saying. Somebody would say, how do you do? And the other person thought they'd say, how ugly are you? It wasn't funny. You could be saying something nice like such a lovely morning and get a punch in the nose because they thought you'd say, hush up, you're boring. You couldn't even say pardon to check if they'd heard you, right? Because nobody understood that word either. It wasn't easy to work together after that, as you can only imagine. People were always quarreling and fighting and getting in a dreadful muddle and becoming grumpier and grumpier until at last they were too cross to keep on building and they just had to stop. After that, people scattered all over the world, which is how we ended up with so many different languages to this day. You see, God knew however high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase They needed a rescuer because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase, it was a person. People could never reach up to heaven, so heaven would have to one day come down to them. And one day, it would. I love that story because how it points in the middle of this bizarre story about a tower and a bunch of different languages, about how one day it points to a a moment of redemption to the day when God would step in. And the cool thing about that story is that 
what we look at today in the book of Acts, as we continue on our series, Back to the Future Church, as we look forward to seeing how in the world we step out, back out of a COVID world and in, into a somewhat normal world that, of course, is going to change three times and everything else, all this crazy stuff that's happening. Like, how in the world do we, how in the world do we step back in? And what we see is that, that God stepped back in through Jesus Christ, and then he stayed put here through the church. And that this whole story of Babel, this story of chaos and everything else, is only setting up the story that we look at today, which is the day of Pentecost. But on this day that we look at in Scripture in Acts, the second chapter, rather than people being united without God and then being confused by the many languages, we see people being united in Christ as a church. And then people from all over the world hearing the gospel message spoken in their very language. A beautiful sign of redemption. Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But what I want to talk to you about today is this thing that I believe so dearly in. The church. And as we look at the birthday of the church, which actually was last Sunday, if you're going by the church calendar, but don't tell anybody. As we look at this story of Pentecost, it's this thing that I believe very deeply in, and yet so many people are struggling to believe in today, and that is this. God has chosen the church. God has chosen the church. Jesus chose the disciples to start this worldwide movement of believers that would share his message from the day of Pentecost until the day that Jesus returns and then forever after, after that, as we worship in the presence of God. God has chosen the church. Do you believe that? God has chosen the church. What exactly has he chosen for it to do? Well, let's take a look at the text and see. Acts 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the New Testament are the four Gospels, and then the book of Acts comes next, the story of the church. Last week, we took a look at how they were birthed in prayer. The early church was birthed in prayer and how we should be a people of prayer, not just saying our prayers, but being a people who walk in prayer every day. Acts 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived. Now, there's a couple images going on here. I already shared with you one, which will start to make sense here in a little bit, about the, the Tower of Babel. But there's another story here that's happening. The day of Pentecost, this isn't just a name that uh, Peter or that Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts, came out with. Mike hit it on the head when he was doing the communion meditation that, the, that there is three major Jewish feasts where people would travel to Jerusalem for. Now, Passover was the one where Jesus was crucified, of course. And Passover, the meal that we have, the communion meal, it didn't start with Jesus, it started with Moses. It started back during the Exodus, and Jesus incorporated it in saying, this is a new covenant that I'm making with you today. And so Pentecost simply means 50. Penta means 50. And so when we look at this, it's 50 days after Passover. And this is often called also the, the Feast of First Fruits. It's the same thing, Pentecost or First Fruits. 
Um, but one of these images we have is that 50 days after the original Passover was when Moses went on to the mountain to receive the law or the covenant for how his, the, God's covenant people were to live in response to God's saving act that he had done for them by bringing them out of Egypt. Here is now how the people were to live. And in the same way, that's what happened at the cross that Jesus, this great saving act, the greatest saving act in the history of humanity, the only one that can really get us our salvation, was given by Jesus. And now 50 days later, the church is beginning. The church is starting. And so just as Moses received the law, we see in Jeremiah 31 a promise that he makes for us of a new covenant. In verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, it says, Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so back to Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. This was no freight train tornado coming, but this was a rushing wind from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues of flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. I have no idea what that would have looked like, but I imagine it would have been pretty cool. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. Now, when it's talking about tongues here, I think it's different than what's being spoke of in Corinthians. This is actually uh, languages, as we'll read here in a few verses, that other people would have recognized as their very languages. It's like I started speaking German up here. Um, all of you would be like, what? In the, like, Dustin speaks German? And you'd be like, no, Dustin barely speaks English. No, we know that's not true. Okay. And so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a very Spirit-directed thing that is happening here. And so the first thing that we see is that God has chosen the church to be the people of the new covenant. God has chosen the church to take forward this covenant that God has made with all humanity, that God wants to make with all human beings through Jesus Christ. The first covenant was to be a holy people, to raise up the Messiah. But this is with Jesus coming, the new covenant is to take the people, the, take the message, to be a people of this message. Before we can take this message, we have to be a people of the message. The message is not just merely one we share with our words, although that is vitally important. It is one that is emblazoned on our hearts. God has chosen the church to be the people of the new covenant. Now, here's what's going on here. This festival is called people in from all over the world, Jewish people. And the gospel starts with Jewish people here. And we see in Acts 10, it finally goes outside of Judaism as they realize that this is truly for all people. But those hints are seen here on the day of Pentecost. In verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused. We were expecting the tornado to come through. Where's the tornado at? You know, like Twister. No, they were, came together. They didn't know why they were coming together. They were confused, and each one heard them speaking in his own language. 
Can you imagine being there and being from a, a, a place that was uh, in, in North Africa or somewhere and, and having a different language that's your everyday language? Now, you might have spoken Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew and might have expected that, but instead this message is being shared in your own language. You're like, wait a second. Those people don't look like me. They're not, I don't recognize them. They, they weren't on the road with us. Why are they speaking our language? And it goes on to say, uh, they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Just put the word redneck in there, all right? They, they, these were Galileans. These were fishermen and tax collectors from this backwater place of Galilee. Like, these people wouldn't have been educated. We read later on in the book of Acts that they were amazed at the Galileans, at, at, at Peter, James, John, all those guys, because they were like, because uh, they were speaking as, a, they, they, were, they were untrained, ordinary men. Like, how do they know these kind of things? And how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, let me just give you a little hint about what it means. Because in today's world, we call something like this a heart language. A heart language is the native tongue of a people. And one of the most important things for missionaries to do is to learn the local language. Even if the people speak, you know, if they're from America, even if the native people would speak English, to learn the heart language. Because that is one of the greatest ways to show that you love somebody is to learn their language. Now, our kids every night when we pray for the missionaries that I helped recruit to Kenya, uh, they've been there a month now, they're in a month and two months. They're in language school now. And one of the things that we pray for them is that the missionaries would, would have favor in learning the language because it's hard work, and the older you get, the harder it is to learn a new language. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, and so the heart language, I don't know if you know this, but 180 million people around the world still don't have a Bible in their native language. 180 million people, that's, that's about two-thirds of the population in the United States. And that's in 2,000 different languages. I have a friend who is working with a group called Pioneer Bible Translators to help remedy that. And he just landed over on the other, actually, they're preparing, they've done their first visit, and they were going to go over in August permanently and go to this rural corner of the world, which I'm not even supposed to tell you where it's at, uh, and learn the language there so that they can therefore translate the Bible into that language. Another group out of Iowa, I don't know if you know this, but people who are deaf, only 2% of deaf people have a Bible in their sign language. And yet God wants them to know that they are loved just as much as he wants people who can hear normally. And so there's a group out of Iowa that's translated the entire Bible into ASL, American Sign Language, on video. You can watch it on YouTube if you want to. I don't have a clue what they're doing, but it looks pretty cool. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we speaking into the heart language of the people who are around us? And sometimes that speaking into the heart language is it's, it's an incarnation type of language. I know we've taught ESL here at the church before. Because people from different countries, who we have a ton of people just in this area, we're very blessed with people uh, in this area from different countries, and we can help them learn English. Like, that's another way of showing that love for them. But what we see first and foremost from this passage is this. How has God chosen the church? Well, we see here that God has chosen the church to take his message 
to the whole world, not to the countries that we like, not to the people who look the most like us, but to the whole world, to the countries we despise or look down upon. For me, that's France, by the way. Sorry, it's, I, just, I just something about it. I don't know. But God has chosen the church to take this message to the whole world. And we are to be a people that are about the whole world. We are to be a people who see past the surfaces of the differences that we have between cultures and to see the common bond that we have, that we are all created in the image of God and that Christ's blood was shed for all of us. Do you see how invaluable that is in our world of division today? Do you see how essential that is that we are a missionary people? And all the divisions that we have, that we are a sacrificial people who will lay down every bit of our lives in order to see the gospel message move forward. God has chosen the church to take his message to the whole world. But in Acts 2.13, we see that the church faces their first bit of opposition. It's the one promise of Jesus that I've never had promise belie- believing, or I've had problems believing. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> never question that one, <laughs> right? And here, right off the bat, they face opposition. It might not seem like a big deal, but it is. Because all through the book of Acts, the church continually faces opposition. Here's what it says in verse 13. It says, but some sneered and said, they're just drunk on wine. (laughs) They're just a bunch of drunks. Just leave them alone. They're just babbling on. Even when they heard the language Even when they heard the gospel, when they heard those promises of God in their own language, they found a reason to refute it. And I'm going to come back to this a little bit more, but what we have to understand is that God has chosen the church to endure patiently and faithfully. I would love to tell you that every person that you reach out to for Christ, every person you share the message with is going to respond in a favorable way, but that would be a lie. The reality is is that you're more likely to face rejection, especially in our current culture that's growing more and more hostile to Christianity. You're more likely to face rejection than you are to have a positive outcome. But God hasn't called you to be successful in sharing the gospel. He's called you to be faithful in sharing the gospel. You can't change anybody's hearts. I can't either. But what we can do is we can faithfully love people and share the message with them in both word and deed. And frankly, everybody's going to reject the gospel at some point before they accept it. And maybe you're just the first or the third rejection. Just treat it like a prom date. Just keep on asking, all right? God has chosen the church to endure patiently and faithfully. We'll come back to that later on, but listen to what Peter says in response. Acts 2.14, Peter stood up with the eleven, the other disciples. He raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Now, 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 let me just stop right here. Do you remember remember last time we saw Peter? Last week we saw him praying. That was important too. But before that? Yeah, yeah. So 50 days before for him was another type of crucifixion, wasn't it? 
And 50 days before was when he was denying Jesus three times. And now, 50 days later, he is boldly proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Some of you are coming off your greatest failure. Some of you have come through a time where you have given up, where you have quit, where you have done something that you regret deeply. And I'm telling you that the same Jesus that died on the cross for Peter's sins died for your sins. And he didn't just die so that you could say that you're forgiven. He died so that you could live forgiven, so that you could be a messenger of the gospel. And maybe you're still holding on to that failure, but God is setting you up for a great opportunity to share, to be a witness of his great grace. And so Peter stands up and he says, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. Sounds like he's talking to kids there. (laughs) He says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, Peter, my hometown, you know, I don't know. On the contrary, this is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in those last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on who? Some people? No. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now when it says prophesy here, a prophecy and the scriptures is pretty similar to preaching and declaring the message of God. Only about 10% of prophecy is what we would call foretelling, looking into the future. About 90% of it is foretelling. It's just being bold about what God has to say, okay? So when he's talking about your sons and daughters will prophesy here, he's saying, yeah, men and women are going to be bold messengers. Men and women are going to be preachers of the gospel here. This is significant. It's right here in Scripture. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me say that again. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What we see here is that God has chosen the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He has given us this promise. John the Baptist talked about it. You will be baptized, you know, there's one coming greater beyond me. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some people might think that there's, there's a difference here between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I happen to think they're one and the same thing. If you disagree with me, that's fine. It's not a big deal. Just don't beat me up in the parking lot afterwards or anything like that, all right? But what we see in the Old Testament is that from time to time, the Holy Spirit would come on some people, but it was just on some people. It wasn't on all of them. Happened with Moses and then the 70 people who he entrusted to help him out. Happened with a guy named Bezalel, who was actually an artist, which is kind of cool. He was making the stuff for the first tabernacle or temple. And then we see like the kings, sometimes the Holy Spirit come upon them. Definitely the prophets, but this wasn't widespread. But here we see with the church, it's everyone who follows Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that is in Jesus Christ is in you and me. And He is giving us the power to overcome the sin in our lives. He is giving us the power to live as the full image bearers of God. He is giving us the power to speak boldly. He is giving us the power to love unconditionally. So here we have God choosing the church 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 22, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth, which they would have known him as Jesus of Nazareth, was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And do you know what? It's not possible for you or for me to be held by death either because of Jesus Christ. And so here we have this, and, and I just want to throw in just a quick word here. Oftentimes this passage is used to promote uh, anti-Semitism, um, hatred towards Jewish people, and nothing could be any different here. First, Jesus was Jewish. Second, Peter and all the rest of the apostles, they were Jewish too. Third, the whole audience here was Jewish. Like he was speaking to his brothers here, okay? And, and, and that he, he was saying, yeah, yeah, you crucified him. You partnered with the Romans to crucify him. But God brought a great victory to him, and we're all saved as a result of it. So nobody's upset about this anymore, okay? So any anti-Semitism in this is just absolutely ridiculous. Verse 36, we're going to skip through here. We're going to fast forward through Peter's sermon, as you wish you could fast forward through mine sometimes. He says, after he declares God's faithfulness through Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, let the, all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were convicted. They were heartbroken. They said, oh my gosh, like this promised Messiah that we've been looking for, like, you know, we've been looking for him for, for generations. And, and then you know, when he came, we didn't even recognize him and we killed him. Oh, but God raised him from the dead. God must be ticked off about this. What are we supposed to do? And so, so they said this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what should we do? Because Peter hadn't learned, first learned yet that he had to give an invitation hymn and sing 14 courses of Just As I Am. So here he says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. I love the inclusive language. Everyone, all. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. How we need that bold proclamation today as well. So those who accepted his message were baptized. They had a bunch of ceremonial pools around the temple that would have worked perfectly for this. And about 3,000 people were added to them. Not a bad start, huh? And finally, we see here that God has chosen the church so that the whole world can choose Christ. God has chosen us to be His messengers to everyone. And God wants as many will turn to Christ, to turn to Christ. And so He has trusted us and filled us with His Holy Spirit to be His faithful witnesses. God has chosen the church so that the whole world can choose Christ. And most of the times when I preached on this passage or when I've heard this passage preached on, uh, it's easy to get hung up on the 3,000 number. 
But I want to talk about, in closing today, the opposition that Peter faced. Because the reality is, I just, God just laid on my heart this week as I was reading it. Like, they didn't have to mention that they faced opposition in this passage, but they did. Why in the world in this story of great victory would they talk about the opposition that they faced? Let me just share with you three things real quick. First, a lot of people are really down on the church right now. People think, why do we even need it? I'll just walk with God on my own. Now, that's a very dangerous place to be, first and foremost. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever say, oh, it's okay to just walk with God on your own. No, no, you need a church. You need a family because, let's face it, we're all getting led astray if we don't have God's Word and God's people around us. But as people are down on the church, it's our job to stay faithful and to be gracious and to keep inviting people back to the church. Church may look differently 50 years from now than it does now. It looks differently in China than it does here. Of course it is. Christ is embodied in each culture in a very unique way. Same Christ, same gospel, same truth. But, but it always looks a little bit different in form. And we must be people who are gracious with those who have walked away from the church. We must be gracious in inviting people back. There's a lot of people right now who are in the process of reforming their habits. Let's face it, COVID changed all of our lives. We need to be gracious about inviting them back. Gracious and persistent about inviting them back into the church, showing them the love of Christ and letting them know that they are welcome here. That Christ has died for them and He welcomes them back. Secondly, the top two places in the world right now where Christianity is multiplying the fastest will blow your mind. The number one place per capita where Christianity is just absolutely exploding the fastest is this country in the Middle East called Iran. About 70 million people live in Iran. The gospel is being spread there um, through a lot of internet sources which the government is trying to crack down upon. But what's fascinating is who God has chosen. God has chosen women in Iran to lead this movement. And it is absolutely powerful to see what is happening there. They have seen for years the oppression that is brought upon by radical Islam, and they are ready for something different. And so these women, even though they encounter many, uh, much oppression and hardship, are growing in Christ. And now the gospel is spreading there quicker than it is anywhere else on the face of the planet. And praise God for that. The second place where the gospel is growing the fastest, where it's spreading the fastest per capita, is this other place in the Middle East called Afghanistan. Um, and again, with the Taliban and the, the power that is there, uh, with, uh, with the U.S. and other forces preparing to withdraw from Afghanistan, and I have no political statement on any of those things whatsoever, it's simply the reality of what is happening, there is a great fear there that under the powers of Islam, just as when the U.S. pulled out of Iraq, uh, the church went under heavy persecution and has largely been ran off from Iraq, that the same thing could happen there. And we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, even though we don't know them by name, and places around the world. And we need to be learning from their example, because they are far bolder witnesses, frankly, than I am. 
But what we learn from that is out of the most severe oppression comes the most faithful disciples. And you and I, I know that we would just love to have it good and comfortable here in America, but the reality is, is that we need to be prepared to be faithful no matter what. We need to be prepared to recognize that some opposition is actually good for our faith to grow deeper, as much as I hate to say it. That is the consistent voice throughout all of Christian history, is that those who face some opposition will grow stronger in their faith. And you and I must be willing to grow stronger in our faith when we face opposition. And finally, I read this passage this week, and this, this whole thing with the opposition did humor me. Um, but I put myself in Peter's shoes, and I could almost see, and, and again, this is my imagination speaking here. I don't know if this is how it actually happened, but I know the fact that this story was repeated here is significant. Why in the world would they even mention that they faced opposition? Who cares? They had a great victory. But I know the price of being a leader, and the price of leadership is that sometimes in the midst of the greatest victories, Satan can hang over that feeling of defeat in your head. And sometimes in the midst of celebrating all that God is up to, all the ways that God is at work, all the ways that only God can, sometimes we come in the line of fire and some of the simplest things can attack us. And my guess is that you have felt that oppression from time to time as well. When we should be celebrating, we are instead carrying the weight of failure. I want to tell you that that's something that everybody in the church has carried at some point. You're not alone. It's something that Peter carried. It's something that James carried. It's something that John carried. Certainly something that Paul carried. And I want to let you know that God is faithful in spite of the doubts, in spite of the fears that we all will encounter as human beings who are wrestling with how to live out this gospel message who are wrestling with what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Doubts will come, and that's okay. Persevere, hang in there, just like Peter did, just like, just like Paul did, just ultimately like Jesus did. Because God is faithful, and the same God who rose Jesus from the dead will someday raise you and I from the dead. And that is the promise that we endure with each day is that God is faithful. He has chosen the church and He has chosen you and me. Will you be faithful to carry out the message that He has for you today? Father, we come before You and we thank You. We thank You for this story of the birth of the church. We thank You, Lord, that You have chosen us as simple, ordinary people, to be your messengers of the gospel. We pray that we would take that walk seriously, that we would recognize the importance of the message. We pray that your heart for the world, Lord, for every tribe, for every people group, for every nation, would be our heart as well. God, start with our neighbors. Take us to the world. Call us to the people who you would have us to be witnesses to. Lord, start a great movement here at East Point where we see your gospel spread outwardly to all people groups in this area and keep on going from there.
We celebrate the church today, Lord. We celebrate that you have called us together as one. And we pray that we can live out that message that Christ is risen from the dead for all people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.